if I'd only known it was you, is what we're going to talk about tonight, finding Christ in those we serve. Uh, it was seven years ago that David Drury came to me and asked me if I would work along with a group of other people and write a little booklet for the Soul Shift series, I thinking that would be out in a few months, eagerly put it together, and then it just faded away for six years or so. And uh, so when we finally came to uh, this particular one, seeing the scene to unseen, I pulled out the little book and I was amazed at what I would, I was dismayed at what I had written. I said, did I really write that? And then there were a couple of others that I said, that's good stuff. I'd forgotten all about that forever it is. But in writing that book, I may say more about this at the end, it created a soul shift in me. The whole idea of trying to find God, the hidden God, who actually wants us to find him in one way or another. Of all of the passages that I dealt with in that little pamphlet that I put together, the story of the sheep and the goats struck me the most. I, I, I love this story. It comes at the very end of Jesus' ministry, and it's a parable along with several other parables, all talking about what's going to happen at the end. The virgins, the foolish virgins, the wise virgins. The story of the talents is in there in Matthew. And then this sheep and goats story. Pastor touched briefly on it this morning. I sat back there, Steve, and cringed and said, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. That's me on Wednesday, and you didn't. Thank you very much for, for sparing us. So let's, let's look at it. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Uh, that's small, possibly. So, Jonathan, where are you? I'm right uh, here. Jonathan's here. Will you read it for us, Jonathan? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Good. Thank you. Now, would you do me a favor right now? If you've got your notes in front of you, would you flip them over upside down? Just do that. If you've already written on them, you can't participate. Uh, <laughs> if you have your Bible open, will you close it? If you have your little iPad there, and you're uh, all set to... Uh, don't do that either. Okay? Two stories. Or a story with two groups of people, sheep people and goat people. And the interesting thing in the story is Jesus does not start with the goat people. He starts with the sheep. He starts with the righteous people, and he starts by complimenting them and telling them the good things that they've done. This passage always gets around to the goats pretty quickly, but let's stay with the sheep for a minute. Now... In the passage that Jonathan just read, will you shut that off up there? Uh, is Chris Chip back there? Chip, kill that real quick before they look. <laughs> Too late. Oh, Bo's here. Bo, can you just put it on mute for a second? And they're all frantically speed reading. <laughs> all right, at your tables. You can flip your papers over if you want to. Jesus identified six different groups of people who had a problem in their life. Can you name them? 
all six of them, and then when you get that done, try to put them in the order they're mentioned in Scripture, and when you think you've got the answer, raise your hand at your table. There are no presents, no candy bars, but I want to know, go, what, what were the six groups of people, six people that Jesus said, you did something nice to these people? When you think you've got them, you don't even have to get them in order. It looks like you're going to have more trouble than I thought. When you, when you think, if, if you think you can get all six in any order, just raise your hand. Can't take any more time than that. We'll have to go. Uh, put that on, and then I'll flick to the next screen, okay? We can do that. We'll go back on with the screen. There it goes, and I'll hit this little button. And then the righteous people, and that's what strikes me in this story. You can understand why the goats, the, the wicked people, wouldn't have known what was going on, but in this particular passage, it's the righteous people that turn and say, Lord, when did we ever see you like this? Now, what are the six things? What's one of them? You were thirsty. You were hungry. You were naked. We got three. You were sick. You were in prison. And you were a stranger. There they are. Let's put them up. There we've got them. Hungry, thirsty, estranged, naked, sick, and imprisoned. The IV said, they, you need clothes. I think they got a little too upset with the idea. If any of us have been to other parts of the world, uh, there are people, little children, that actually fit this qualification. Of, but, but whatever the story is, when did we ever see you this particular way? Now, the interesting thing, again, about this story is that Almost every time I have heard something preached on this passage, it has been to scold the goats. We always get around that the point that you need to get from this story is that if you haven't been doing things to this group of people, get off your duff and do it, because that's what the story is all about. The story is actually about scene to unseen. I'm saying unseen to seen. Uh, it's the righteous people who did these things, but didn't know that they were doing them. When did we ever see you thirsty, Jesus? Now, that's biblical times. That's first century, 2,000 years ago. Um, Jesus' response is, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you did it for me. Or in the old King James, the way I learned it, you did it unto me. You actually were doing this to me, not to who you thought they were. And of course, the righteous people say, no, no wait a minute, though. That wasn't you. That, that was somebody, that was the homeless man I, I saw down at the shelter. That, that wasn't you, Jesus. Jesus says, wrong. It, it, it was me. You ought to be able to find me in these people that you serve. 
Now, that's a first century list. Let's update it. Jesus has just arrived in Marion, Indiana, and you've got those six things down, or if you don't, I can put them back up there. Let's add to the list for a few minutes. At your table, what are some other groups of people that if Jesus were here today, he might add to this particular list? Use your imagination and think of some other ones if you can. Go for a few minutes. Chip, do we want to go with a microphone to catch the... I'm going to ask people, let's... Uh, we got a, Eric's ready to go, all right? I'd like you to come up with at least one at your table, and then if you've come up with more than one, go for your best one. Uh, we'll just do one, one for table, if you can. What is some group of people, if you understand what sick, in prison, thirsty, hungry, naked, stranger... What would be other categories that fit with our modern society in which we live that you might add? Okay, we ready to go? Joy? Addicts. You would, Jesus might say, if you've done it unto addicts, I was an addict and you got me in a rehab center. Let's do it that way. If you, if, remember, it was if you, you were sick, you visited me. So give me the, what, what the problem is and how we might as Christians address it. Let's, let's get another table. Come on, you've, you've got minds to think. Up here. Oh, Eric, they're going to make you walk. We've got to do it. We've got to do it with the microphone. We're, we're recording this. Refugee gave you shelter. Okay. Refugees, and you gave them shelter. Pat. of abuse, and you led them to a place that they could find shelter. Uh, yeah, I, I do think Jesus would, that was one that was in my mind, that I was abused, and you came to my rescue. A hurting child, and you became their mentor. Hurting children. Yeah, much more a problem today than it would have been in Jesus' day, I think. The, the number of children from single parents or, or dysfunctional homes. How about the unemployed, people that have lost their job for whatever reason? Over here? Uh, the poor giving them an opportunity. All right. The poor in general, the, the impoverished, and, and giving them opportunities. So now you could take this sheet home and think about this one. This is one that maybe we can't cover all of the way here this evening, but what would Jesus do to update that list if he showed up? and said, this was something you did. And you thought you were just helping an abused person. But that was me. So, here's the issue for those righteous people and for the people that were the goats, the unrighteous. Jesus, if we had only known it was you, this is what we would have done. Jesus, if we had only known it was you. And the interesting thing is Jesus tells the righteous people, well, you didn't, but you did it anyways. And to the goats, he says, you didn't, and you should have been doing these kind of things. 
But I, I'm intrigued with that question. Or, no, wait a minute. Let me, I'm getting ahead of my notes here. The question we often hear is, how can those I serve see Christ? Oh, wait a minute. Are you going to forgive me for... This is all fresh stuff for me, and I, <laughs> I'm, I want to go back. I want to go back. I thought that's what I wanted to do. Here I am. This is where I want to go. This is a new one for me, so uh, let me get the rusties out of it. Jesus, if we had only known that it is you, we would have. Here's what I want you to do now at your tables. This is going to be fun, I think, or at least interesting again. I keep using that word. If Jesus would show up in Marion tomorrow, and it was suddenly in the American Chronicle, Jesus has arrived what would you do? What would you do if you knew it was Jesus who just walked into college Wesleyan Church? Think of some of the things we, the Christian community, the United States, you, you pick whoever it is, what would be some of the things we might do besides what they did in Philadelphia on Monday? Uh, what would we do if Jesus would suddenly show up in our community? Go. <laughs> I'll get to you. We've got to get the bike on these in just a moment. Yes. Jesus has just come to town, and we know it's Jesus this time. All right, let's find out how creative you are. Raise your hand if you, if you have an idea of what College Wesleyan Church might do if Jesus showed up. What did you say, Veronica? What, we would, what would we do? We'd ask Jesus to come to an open forum. Yes. There would be courageous conversations with Jesus or something like that. Yes. <laughs> Steve would gladly step out of the pulpit for one Sunday and just let Jesus take over and do that. That's a great, that's a great one. You'd invite him to join our small group. Yeah, that, that's a great one there. Or whatever it is, I just want to make the point it would change our priorities. If we had known it was Jesus... I think our schedules, every one of us would change our schedules, we might change activities, we might change priorities in our life, if we knew it was Jesus. And I'm talking about righteous people. I, wicked people might stop their gambling or whatever they're doing, drug dealing. But the fact of the matter is, if we, you and I, knew it was Jesus, I know my life would change my sense of priorities would change. Now, just to keep pushing this a little farther, the question that we often hear when we talk about serving others is this question, how can those I serve see Christ in me? When I am out serving other people, Francis Slocum 
immigrant connection, whatever I am doing, visiting nursing homes, my prayer is that people will see Christ in me. The question we don't ask and hear quite as often is the question, how can I see Christ in those that I serve? Because that's the point of this parable. If you've done it to these people, you've done it to me. I am somehow embedded in these suffering, hurting people. And you must look for me. That's, that's more seen to unseen. I think it's pretty obvious that I want people to see Christ-likeness in Bud Bentz. On Sunday mornings, Carol and I make a stop on our, our way to church. And we add one other passenger to our car. And I got thinking about this a few weeks ago. I was listening to your sermon, Steve, but at the same time I was sitting there saying, someday I will have to be standing before the Son of Man, and I will say, when did I ever see you, Jesus? And he will say, well, you picked me up every Sunday morning and brought me to college church. And I'd say, oh, no, that was Raymond. Jesus, that was not you. And that's in all, I would say that if he were here. Uh, and Jesus very quietly says, if you've done it to Raymond, you've done it to me. If you've done it to somebody in the Alzheimer's unit who's lost their memory, that could be me. That could be me. So how do I go about as a Christian as a follower of Jesus, seeing Christ in people, particularly the unfortunate. Well, here, here's what I want to suggest to you. Um, you can see Christ in the way we serve, first of all, the easiest way, the way that has happened. And I'm going to be, I want a few stories here when we get here. How many of you have ever gone to minister to someone who you perceived was in need, sick, Accident, nursing home, approaching death. And suddenly, you who went to be ministered are suddenly discovering that Christ is speaking to you. That it is not you being the representative for Jesus ministering to this person. It is the person being ministered to who suddenly takes on this role of ministry and Jesus begins to speak to you. I want a couple of stories here. I think we could get them in this large of a group. I've heard the pastor mention a couple of them in his sermons at different times, haven't you, Pastor, where, where you've, you've walked out of a hospital room and saying, who was ministering to whom here? But, but let's let the pastor off the hook tonight. I want to hear some of you as lay people that have had a situation like that. Cindy? Um, her name was Emma. She was one of the residents at Colonial Oaks that came to our Thursday chapel service. She couldn't see very well and she couldn't hear very well. Uh, she fell and broke her hip, but they couldn't do surgery, so she had to stay in bed, and then she got bed sores. But when she was well enough to sit up in a chair, I went down to visit her, and uh, 
I asked her if I could sing for her, and she said, yes. I said, what would you like me to sing? And she said, make me a blessing. Mm. And that was kind of like a slap in the face to me. And suddenly God is speaking to you in that moment. Yeah, Christ is speaking. I'm looking at you, Jan. I'm just thinking that something in Africa happened like that, but I won't put you on this spot unless you... How many of you have been in another part of the country? Oh, back here. Uh, um, every time, well, just about every time we would go to a Haitian service, the Haitians ministered to me because of their faith and their singing, their vibrancy. They were in love with the Lord, oh, and it, yeah. it ministered to my yeah. heart. How many of you have been on a short-term missionary trip some in your time in your life? Look at that, about a, maybe a good third to a half of us. And all of you ought to be able to say that I went over there thinking I was going to bring Christ to these people, only to discover that they had as much or more of Christ to give to me in that particular situation where we are at. I could take one more story. Christian. We were visiting Mississippi, and John said that we should stop by this old family friend of um, his family in a nursing home, and he was um, elderly, and he wasn't in uh, too bad a health, but um, John just wanted to go by and see him and visit with him, and his name was Dr. Furman, and I didn't know anything about this man, but I thought, oh, that'd be nice. We'll just go in and say hi and, you know, speak with him a little bit, but when I walked in the room, um, the Spirit of God was so present in that place, like, I just teared up. Of course, it didn't take much for me to cry, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was in that room, and this man had so much grace and joy and peace and life in the midst of this nursing home with, with all the smells and all the, you know, sterileness and busyness. There was this older gentleman that um, really ministered to me that even in the worst situations, you can be overflowing with sure, joy. Sure. A suggestion for you? I think I'm on track here, Chuck. But if you would like to go someplace where you hear Christ <laughs> speaking to you, go visit Chuck McCollum's father. Uh, he's living a little bit in the shadows, but not enough that he won't all of a sudden start wanting to pray for you. And you will suddenly just see this overflow. You're, you came to cheer up somebody, and Mr. McCollum is the voice of Christ speaking into your life. I can remember some visits with Marge Elder. Some of you would understand what I'm saying, where I wasn't sure who was ministering to whom in that situation. A wonderful saint that was there. Well, let's go on. Because there's another way that you can find Christ. We call the church the body of Christ. In some sense, we believe that while Christ was incarnate here on earth, in the flesh, when he departed, he decided to perpetuate the incarnation by coming to dwell in believers. And these believers, in a collective sense, are the body, the body of Christ. They are Christ, if you will allow me to say it, in the flesh. They are they're Jesus with skin on because Christ dwells within them. And so many of you in this room, particularly the people that are here this evening, have ministries here in the church. And I want you to open your eyes 
when you're doing that ministry to the fact that you are not just seeing your friends. You are not just seeing people from College Wesleyan Church. You are seeing the body of Christ. In one sense, it's lots of individuals, but then there's a way they, they kind of get fuzzy and blurred together, and the group that is here worshiping together is the body of Christ. Carol and I were pastors. I pastored in New York a number of years ago. Our final Sunday at, uh, at that little church, well, it wasn't little, at that church, Carol and I asked for the privilege to serve communion to everybody who was in the congregation. There were probably close to 200 people there, and so it was a very short sermon and a very long service in which every person that was there that day that we had ministered to came and took the elements from us. I will still consider that probably the most, one of the most sacred moments of my entire life. Looking into the eyes of people who I had been their shepherd. They were the sheep. And they're looking into my eyes. And, I, and, and knowing their stories, it was just the fact that this was the body of Christ. This was, the, this was my family. These were my brothers and sisters. And so you will have opportunities where that can happen. Most of the people who sing in this church are rehearsing over there. So I'll run over here afterwards and tell them this real quickly. But if, if you are ever in an opportunity where you are singing or reading the scripture or standing on the, the, the platform here at College Wesleyan, serving in some role, or if you are here at the doors greeting, can you be a greeter at College Wesleyan Church and, and see Christ, not in necessarily individual people, but as these people stream in, there's just a, a, a mystical sense in which you says that I am welcoming Christ to College Wesleyan Church today. If you work in Splash, if you're in the nursery, can you, can you hold children in your arms and say, this is the body of Christ. Finding opportunities, nursing home, different places where you as a minister, as one of those who is serving this church, sees it not as a job that they gave me or not even as something Jesus asked me to do, but as an open opportunity for me to, to see Christ and to be in a unique gift, a gifted position, where I actually get to see the body. I'm, I'm feeling that now where I'm sitting doing this tonight. This, this is Jesus for me for the next half hour of my life. So we can find Christ in discovering people that we minister who minister to us. We can find Christ as we look at those who we are serving in the body of Christ they, they, they are Christ to us. And then in this passage that we're talking about, and probably the most challenging thing, when I minister to those who are needy, Jesus always seems in his ministry to, to flip this thing upside down and see the deepest significance in the people who are at the bottom of the totem pole. I love you, Pastor, but 
but I, I, and you, you would say a hearty amen to this. I think all of us are inclined to look at the person who leads as being the most Christ-like person in the church. And, and we look at people that are clergy or teach at Indiana Wesleyan, like Morgan and, and, and Smith over here. And, and we say, oh, these are godly people. And, and Jesus seems to flip that in his ministry and go to the woman at the well, the woman taken in adultery, the Pharisees, and he sees something in those people. He sees the image of God. He sees the image that God put in them that is the same image that he has. And that's the challenge for us, I think. I think a challenge for us is to say, well, it's nice to minister up here in the top. Maybe the place where I am closest to finding Jesus is when I look at the people who come to the 11 o'clock service who are, are largely strangers to many of us who are here in this room and say, these are the people that Jesus wants me to focus on. That it could be that those immigrants that are in our community and that are coming to the immigrant connection are, are the people that Jesus may say, I really want you to be paying attention to them. You might find me in them. Now, I can't tell you how you find Jesus in, in people who are drug addicts or people who are in prison. I can just leave that for the Holy Spirit to do that work in your life and in my life. So that when you go to Francis Slocum and you tutor and you're, you're with that little child, you, you just have to pray and say, Jesus, I don't know what I see in this little, this little rapscallion that, that is you, but you've said that you're here. And so, oh, Jesus, help me to, to find what's you in every person that I minister to. Two things you know about Bud Bentz. One, coffee. Been looking at it all this time with deep, deep desire. <laughs> and Martin Luther. Martin Luther, after he pounded his theses to the door of the church, was called about a year later to headquarters, the headquarters of his particular denomination. He was, he was not called to Rome, but he was called to the headquarters of the Augustinian order of monks, which happened to be in Heidelberg, Germany. And before he went, Martin Luther sat down and wrote, wrote a uh, series of observations and questions. It's called the Heidelberg Disputation. And in the middle of the Heidelberg dis Disputation, Martin Luther says there are two kinds of theology. There is a theology of glory, and there is a theology of the cross. And then he took us to Scripture. He took us to Exodus chapter 33. God had become very upset with the grumbling of the Israelites and announced to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses said, you can't do that, God. Those are your people. He says, I can do what I want to do. I'm going to wipe them out. Moses says, you can't do that. If you're going to wipe them out, you have to wipe me out too. 
I go where they go. They are my people, and they are your people, God. I don't, don't ask me to explain all the theology of what's going on there, but Moses had this little argument with God. And the scriptures tell us that God relented. God backed off and said, Moses, I am so impressed with your faithfulness and loyalty to these people. Moses, come here. I want to talk to you. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, I will do whatever you ask because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Then show me your glory. And the Lord said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, There is a place near here where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until after I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand, and you may see my back, but my face you must not see. I don't know who Hebrew, Luther did. Luther said God was more geographically specific than talking about my back. He, he located a particular region of one's back. And he said, Moses, you can't handle my glory. No person can handle my glory. If, if you really want to see God, I'll show you myself. But you're going to look at my backside. And if you know anything about Luther, he was fairly crude in his language, and I will not go where Luther went with this one at all. He preached a sermon. I, if Pastor Steve preached a sermon with that title, he wouldn't be in the Wesleyan church anymore. But, uh, Luther could get away with it. Shared this passage with Keith Drury once, and he said, well, you could at least title it When God Threw a Moon and Get Away With It, but uh, I don't think we'll do that one either. <laughs> uh, Luther went on to say, my problem with the church is not just this indulgence thing that was the problem a year ago. It's that I see a whole group of people who are craving glory. You're building cathedrals. You're, you're making shrines to, to all of the saints. You are spending exorbitant amounts of money. You're, you're coming up with elaborate choirs. You go to Rome and it's just it's just. All of this is, you've, you're starting universities and you're, and you're so proud of your knowledge. Everybody is climbing up, 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 wanting to get to glory. In fact, in, in Luther's day, the greatest, the greatest experience that a person could have would be to have a vision of God. Visio Dei, they called it. Uh, an opportunity to see God. And if somebody had a vision whether it was at Lourdes or Fatima or wherever it is, if you, if you had a vision of God or the Blessed Virgin, that was as good as it gets. And Luther says there is a theology of glory that is pervading the church. And it is not a theology of the cross. So in the Old Testament, God said to Moses, 
I'm not going to show you my face. You can't handle my face. Stop looking and asking for it. If you want to see God, I will show you my backside. And Moses saw it. And you know what the result was? He glowed. His his face took on such a radiance because he had seen the, the most humiliating aspect of God that you could see. And it was enough that people said, we don't want to look at you, Moses. You, you've got too much shine on you today. And then Luther went on and said, so where do you want to find God? God became flesh so that we could see him. And we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And where do you want to see Jesus at his best? Go to Calvary. Climb over the rock pile, and there you will see a person who is thirsty, hungry, naked, imprisoned, a stranger, who is God himself. And that is God, the only God, Luther says, that you really need to see. If you want to see God, that's where you go. And I wonder if Luther's message wouldn't need to be preached again with a little bit of warning to American evangelicalism. Because we want to see God's glory. And so we ask to see God's glory and it's, it's all the miraculous things that are God's glory. We say that we want to see, have religious experiences. I, I want to be on fire for God. I, I want to have an ecstatic experience of some kind. Or, or we talk in terms of material blessings. God is so glorious, he just gave me a new Lexus. Uh, is that really where we find God's glory? Do we find it in numerical growth? Do we found it in, find it in wow events? We sing, I want to see your face. But maybe we don't want to see God's face. Maybe it would kill us if we saw it. So if you really want to see God, you go to a suffering Savior on a cross. That's, that's God in his humiliation and his weakness. But it is the most powerful picture that we can see of God. And Jesus tells us in this story that we have, that we can also find Jesus in those around us who are needy and suffering. Maybe it isn't Sunday morning at College Wesleyan Church where we see God the clearest. Maybe it's when Tamar's purse goes to Africa that they see God. Maybe it's when some of you go and tutor and do the uh, program at Francis Slocum that you might see God more clearly than you might see him if you went to a Gaither gathering. Is that enough preaching for one day? Is that enough Luther for you? Luther, that, that isn't Bud Benz. I don't believe any of that. I just wanted to tell you what, I just wanted to tell you about Luther. So here, I've already said it, and you're going to take a few minutes and talk. So where might we find Christ? I'll, I just put down three of them, and then I'm going to ask you at your tables to talk for a minute. We might find Christ 
tutoring at Francis Slocum. We might find Christ visiting nursing homes, people who are entering the shadows in physically, psychologically, perhaps even spiritually. We might find Christ in having a more welcoming attitude towards the immigrants that are in our community, not just here at Immigrant Connection, but the, the immigrants you see in Walmart, the immigrants that you see when you move through this town. What is, do, can you see Jesus in these people and treat them as you would treat Jesus if you saw them? Add a few more at your table. Just, just think of where, where you think this church might want to reach out in. Not, not this church as an organization. I mean, this church is you people who are sitting in this room. Where might you go, we go, to find Christ? If finding Christ includes that list that we had earlier of the hungry, thirsty, naked, poor, unemployed, abused, how would we do that? Go, go, talk. Okay, you've done a little talking at your tables. I'm not going to add to the list. Uh, I think you could be creative. But here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you as you go home this evening, perhaps before you go to sleep, just as to quietly say to God, if part of this seen to unseen, show me some place, some person, some organization, some place where I might go and Look for you, Jesus, and have the assurance that you've told me that if I go into these rough places or if I take on a ministry here at the church, greeting, doing the coffee, if I develop eyes to see that this is Jesus, help me to take something that I've just been doing or something that I've not been doing and turn it into a place where I am seeing Christ Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the, to experience the power of his resurrection. That's something we all want to do. We want to see the power of his resurrection. But if you're going to know Christ, you're also going to have to enter the fellowship of his suffering. And so in, in reaching out in compassion to others, we come to know the Christ and so 
I put it at the bottom because I wanted you to take it out with you, not just as a memory, but as a thing. If we can see Christ in those we serve, Christ will, those who serve will see Christ.